uh, I appreciate so much you being in service with me today. To be able to preach the word of God to you is the great privilege of my life. The fact that you're so attentive and you're so hungry for a good word, it's something I take very seriously. I never want to come to this pulpit and feel ill-prepared or that my heart's not ready or I don't have a word for you. I really believe I do have a word. It's the, the, it's the culmination of a series that I began to start the year off. And my attempt was to help you find that place in your heart that stirs you to make sure that you're walking in the will of God for 2015. Whether you're a dad or a mom or grandpa and grandma or whether you're in the workforce or you're a college student or a high school student, God has a plan for your life. And it's easy to get distracted and to lose our, come on, lose direction somewhere along the way. And when that happens, you will continue in motion doing the things that you're doing all the while not having that sense of fulfillment that comes from doing what God's called you to do. Amen? So we've gone to the book of Nehemiah, and we have sought to learn and to glean from his life. We're going to culminate this together today. And I'm going to take a little bit of this as the last sermon from this particular series, and we're going to retrace our steps to arrive at a very climatic moment in this particular story. The text today will be chosen from the 13th chapter of the book of Nehemiah. And I'm going to glean that chapter quickly, not going to read it in its entirety, but I'm going to glean it quickly. And I'm going to actually read it right here from my Bible rather than on the screen because I will probably move quicker this way. Now, I'm going to... I'm going to leave you seated for just a few short minutes of time because of the entirety of the chapter and the gleaning that's necessary, but we will stand in just a few moments for one final time here as a prelude to the preaching of the Word of God that we might honor the Scriptures by the standing. And on that day, it's the first verse of the 13th chapter, page 502 in my Bible. On that day, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people. And they found that the Ammonite, the Moabite, should not come into the congregation of God forever because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water but had hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. How many of you know only God can do that? Right, he can. Third verse, it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from, the, from Israel all the mixed multitude. Now, here's where the transition takes place. It's the fourth verse that we're going to begin to see this. And, um, and I'll allude to it more in just a few moments. Before this, Eliashib, who was the priest, had the, the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. We'll remind you of who Tobiah was in a few moments. He had prepared for him a great chamber that previously they had laid the meat offering, frankincense, vessels, the tithes of the corn, new wine, oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters. But notice this, sixth verse, And all this time I was not at Jerusalem, Nehemiah says. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. So Nehemiah has gone back to Babylon or to Persia and has now returned. And now he finds and discovers some things. 
I came to Jerusalem. I understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. I, and it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber, and I commanded that they cleanse the chambers, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together in their place. And they began to bring the tithe of the corn, the new wine, and the oil into the treasures. And we'll, Nehemiah in the 14th verse it, it prays to God and says, God remember me for this that I have done. Now in the 15th verse he notices that men are working on the Sabbath day. Notice the 15th verse. I saw in those days in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath as well as commerce. People were coming into the city and they were exchanging their goods on the Sabbath day. 17th verse, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? And so he takes a strong stand against their efforts to uh, practice commerce on the Sabbath day. Now, notice the 23rd verse. In those days also... Uh, Saw I Jews, and won't you go ahead and stand up if you would. We'll make this kind of our finality. We'll close out with this. He said, I saw Jews that were married wives of Ashdod, Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spoke half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. They had intermarried with people of the land, and their children could not speak the language, whether it be Hebrew or Aramaic, of the Israelites, but according to the language of each people. Now look at this. Aren't you glad? I don't think I would fill the church up very often if I responded with such an extreme measure of frustration. Goodness gracious. It's a shame occasionally the pastor gets noted for what they call uh, fleecing the sheep. But look at Nehemiah. He said, I contended with them and I cursed them and I smote certain of them and I plucked off their hair. My goodness gracious alive. It's like a Jerry Springer moment right here in church. <laughs> have that. You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons for your yourselves. Did, Sol did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? So Nehemiah's frustration is very deep, and he responds in the flesh. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? That's the 27th verse. But you've got to weave this together, and I'm going to expound upon it, and I think it will bring some clarification to you in a little while. One of the sons of Joadiah, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, so it seems Eliashib's grandson, uh, is son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. So there's this unholy alliance that has reformed in the absence of Nehemiah. And he said, so therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. 30th and the 31st verse to conclude this reading of Scripture. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business. And for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits, he reestablishes what he had put in place years, perhaps months for sure, but potentially years earlier. And he prays, remember me, oh my God, for good. It's a powerful 
uh, conclusion to a very impacting a very impacting story in the scriptures. And I'm going to extract a title from this and build the sermon around this theme, thinking about where we've been and arriving at this place in the 13th chapter, about maintaining the edge, maintaining the edge of your spiritual relationship with God. How many of you know it's very easy to get distracted? We start out so fervent, on fire for God, and then the way of this world pulls us away and we drift from where we once were. We as believers must maintain our spiritual edge. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless the, the, not only the reading of the word of God, but the preaching of the word. Let it be, Father, with great clarity that I communicate the word of God today. As I pray so often, Father, make me as the oracles of God. Prepare the heart and the ear of the listening audience today. In Jesus' name, all God's children said, Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. I would like to just very quickly, before we regather our steps and then kind of delve into Nehemiah 13, I'd like to take you back to two passages of Scripture, though, that brings affirmation to a statement that I have made along this journey where I've made a statement about a prophetical picture. Does anybody remember me saying this is a prophetical picture and the importance that that can have as you read the Word of God? Let me affirm that particular statement by reading from Romans, the 15th chapter and the 4th verse. I'm going to post that on the screen. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Okay? The Apostle Paul is writing to both a Jewish and Gentile audience at Rome who are believers in Christ, but because of their, the influence of Judaism, they have the Old Testament scriptures. And he's affirming that the things that were written before time were written for our learning, that we believers in the New Testament era, the New Testament principles, we believe in Christ, we can look at these and we can, we can through patience and comfort but that the scriptures give, we'll have hope. Now let's see it again. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 for just a moment, just a couple of verses. Now, now Paul is referencing ancient Israel. This particular passage, he, he particularly references when they came out of Egyptian bondage in the earlier verses. I just chose two or three verses for you to see. Now all these things happen to them for examples. And they are written for our admonition. The word admonition means our warning with instruction. God doesn't just warn us that something is coming or the potential for error. God teaches us how to avoid it. Come on, somebody. Amen. Warns us with instruction upon whom the ends of the world or the ends of the age are come. Twelfth verse. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. It's familiar to us. These are familiar issues. And so as we go through life and we face the ups and the downs and the trials of life, God has been gracious to us to take a picture of life throughout the Word of God so that when you are facing issues in life, you can see how people in that old covenant and in the New Testament era, how that they dealt with these issues, how that the hand of God was visibly seen. We can learn of the enemy's tactics and plots. It's a prophetical picture. It happened in the past, but it is relevant today. Come on, that's a good word. It happened thousands of years ago. That's not an over-exaggeration. 
the story of Nehemiah happened 2,500 years ago, but it's relevant today. I can read it, and it can be applicable. And when I'm reading it, I see part of my own life. I see part of this church right there in that passage. And so God, how many know it's because God's Word is living? It's a living entity. And God evolves and develops and reveals things to us. And so let me give you one final example to just drive this point home. So I want to affirm to you that the pattern of preaching that I'm bringing to you is a biblical pattern. In Mark chapter number 2, Jesus was with his disciples and they were walking to perhaps the synagogue, either to the synagogue or from the synagogue, but I believe it was to the synagogue, on the Sabbath day. Now, the law didn't forbid them from taking just a handful of grain, perhaps, but the traditions, the traditions of the elders had done so. But his disciples were a little bit hungry, and as they were walking through the fields, the field, the grain heads were full. So just walking past, you know, uh, think of it in your mind, King James English would say corn, but it's actually grain head. It would be wheat or barley or something of that nature, and it would be about waist high, just budding over full, and as they're walking past, they're just taking their hand and they're just pulling some off, putting them in their hands, and they're eating them. And when the, when the, when the religious leaders see that, they accuse them of working on the Sabbath day. And when that happened, Jesus said this. He said, here's what he said. Don't you remember what David did? What he did is said, don't you remember the picture that God took back during the days of David? He said, during the days of Abathar the priest, before David had become the king, when he was fleeing from Jerusalem from King Saul, he went into the house of God. He actually did not go in himself, but the priest went in and he brought the showbread out as they did every day. They brought it in hot and they would bring it in fresh and bring out the old and then they would divide it amongst the priests and the Levites and they could eat it. It was reserved only for the priests and the Levite, but David, being neither but had great need, Abathar shared it with him. Jesus looked back at that picture image and it brought life to his particular situation. And he said that if God was able to bless David, God can still bless us. Come on, somebody. So why do I take you to a familiar passage of Scripture, 2,500 years old, and say it's a picture image just because that's the pattern of the Word of God? And if you'll look at it and you'll pray over it, if you're searching for God's will in your life, if you're diligent, then you'll find God's will for your life because Nehemiah found the will of God. Remember where Nehemiah was? He was in Shushan, the palace. I still like the way that I say that. Can I say that? Shushan, the palace. He was living in Shushan, the palace, tasting the king's wine during the time of the exile. And he heard about the plight of the people of Israel. He heard about their condition. And when he did, something happened inside him. Something shifted. He was grieved. He was, he was, he was moved. He, he began to pray about it. And he prayed to the degree that he arrived at a place when he had to do more than pray about it. There are some situations in life God's called you to just pray about. And there are some situations that there's no change coming until you get up off of your knees, come on, and you begin to put action with your prayer. So when Nehemiah gained the opportunity to stand before the king and the king saw his countenance having fallen some because of the grief over his kindred, he said, what's wrong with you? And he said, it's because of my burden for the people of Israel and before the people of Jerusalem. And so the king asked him and said, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I want to go back and rebuild the walls and rebuild the city. And Nehemiah gained authority. And how his life, think about that, how his life took such a shift 
being in exile, but being in a place of prominence within the Persian kingdom, and yet never forgetting who he was, what he had been, what, what the call of God upon the Jewish people, and now aware that they're in a difficult plight, he could live the rest of his days in a, in, in a situation of relatively comfort and, and uh, kingdom provision at the kingdom of Persia, or he could take a giant step of faith and believe God had called him to do something else. And he gained courage to pursue the thing that he believed God had put in his heart to do. So I came into 2015 and I said, God is a pastor. You know, every day of my life I get to live the thing that I dreamed. I get to live the thing that I believed God for. I get to live the thing that I believe I was strategically moved. And I saw your hand and I see it unfold in front of me every day of my life that I'm a part of First Assembly of God. It could all end tomorrow and I can look back and say, man, God fulfilled the things that he told me long years ago. Well, I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be the only person that has that testimony. I want to be responsible for helping stir your heart to believe that, that if God's put something in your heart and mind, you can do it. Come on, somebody. You can do it. It'll take courage. It'll take sacrifice. It'll be, you'll have to make some changes. You'll have to pray yourself through some times of, of difficulty. But if you'll set your heart after God, God can begin to bring you into a new season of life. I also want to encourage those of you who may be in places of life that others may look at your life and say it's mundane. But if you have the peace of God on you, come on, then you don't measure yourself up by anybody else. You just say, I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. Amen? Because it takes all of us to fulfill his will in the kingdom of God. So we journeyed with Nehemiah to Jerusalem, and I made this statement to you. I said, Nehemiah's arrival at Jerusalem was embraced by some and despised by others because not everybody's glad to see you. Do you all remember that statement? How many of you found that to be true? Right? Not everybody is glad when you show up on their doorstep. And Nehemiah arrived, and a lot of people were excited to see him and to hear his testimony and to learn of the good hand of God that was upon him, but not everybody did. Three men were named in particular, Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Gershom the Arabian. And the Bible says that it, that it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the good of the welfare of the house of Israel or the city of Jerusalem. And yet Nehemiah refused to allow their, uh, their, their accusations and their tactics and their devices that they plotted against him to hinder him from rebuilding the wall and he just rallied the people. The people rolled their sleeves up. They faced at least six obstacles and by the power of God's grace upon their life they rebuilt the broken down walls of Jerusalem in 52 short days to the degree that even the enemy had to look and say man that's the hand of God. Come on somebody I believe that. Do you believe that your life and what you set about to do, that when you do it by the grace that God gives you and the power that functions in your life, that there could come moments that people look around and say, that's by God's gift. God, it's not them. They couldn't have done that. Come on. I can't, I'm not educated enough to be your pastor. I'm not articulate enough to speak to you, but I want you to know that God, come on somebody, if a rooster can crow and awaken Peter out of his sin, God can use me. Come on somebody. That's the way I live my life. It's not exactly measuring it up against everybody else, but I just trust if God called me to do it, he'll equip me to do it. And that's the same way it should be with your life as well because God is faithful. Now, one of the messages that I preached, and I believe it was last week, that I made the emphasis or noted the emphasis that after the wall was built and the city to a degree had obtained some measure of protection, Nehemiah immediately began to plug the people in 
to the house of God, if I can use that language. He began to reactivate their, or, 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 or re-energize their affection and their attention towards connecting to the house of God. Corporate worship. They came together to hear the word of God. They made a commitment in their heart to keep the word of God. They even committed to living separate. They said, we won't give our sons and daughters to the people of the land, and we won't take their children to marry our children. They, they said, we're going to keep the Sabbath. Nobody's going to work on the Sabbath. Everybody's going to be involved. Everybody's going to bring the wood offering. Everybody's going to bring the tithe offering. Everybody, the tithe and the offering. Everybody's going to do their part because this is the will of God for our lives. And let me tell you today, it is the will of God for your life to be directly connected to the body of Christ, a local fellowship. I say so often, it doesn't have to be this fellowship, but it needs to be a fellowship. Everybody, if you're genuinely born again, I don't care who you are, where you are, what you're doing in the secular world, you are not walking in the will of God for your life if you are not connected to a local body of Christ. If there's nobody that you can call pastor, if there's nobody that you call brother or sister, if there's nobody to help you bear your burden or you to help bear their burden, you're outside the will of God for your life. We are uniquely designed by God, come on somebody, to be woven together in the fabric of faith, strengthened a thrice braided cord come on somebody a thousand come on somebody the Bible says the Bible says one can chase a thousand but two can put two thousand to flight and we need each other to accomplish the will of God and so I encourage you today in the name of Jesus, find the fellowship. If you, if you live in Heber Springs, we want you to make this fellowship your church family. We do. We want to see people that you and your life affect and are led to Christ and that they're connected and your life is connected to the life stream of the body of Christ. So in the midst of everything kind of getting in order, Nehemiah is forced to fulfill. I know he didn't want to leave. But he's forced to leave because he had promised the king he would only be gone for a short period of time. So he hands off the leadership to a couple of men, good men, good men of God that he chooses to, and, and he leaves them as the governor. And the Bible says that he leaves, and after many days, while in Persia, once again, he gains the right to come back and go back to the city of Jerusalem. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how many, many days are, but presumably it's months, perhaps even a couple of years for Nehemiah to make such a journey. Now, as Nehemiah journeys back, I can imagine, I try to just connect to what it was like for Nehemiah. When he last left, I'm telling you, they were on the edge of revival. Anytime people are bringing in tithes and offerings to the storehouse so there's not room enough to contain it, you're on the edge of revival. Anytime people are celebrating and they're committing to follow God, and that's the last image that he had in his mind when he waved goodbye as he goes down the Mount Zion into the valley, perhaps the Kidron Valley, and then up on the Mount of Olives as he left the city. The city of Jerusalem is elevated, but it is surrounded by seven mountains. And so oftentimes when you first arrive there, you arrive above it, but then you descend below it, and then you climb up as you go in. And I can only imagine that when Nehemiah first arrived on the mountains around it and he saw the city, his heart swelled in thankfulness to God because he remembers the labor of the people. The walls are now, they're built. He can see them from the, from the, his, you know, from that lofty position. He can look down and he sees it. He's amazed at the hand of God. There in the midst, he can see the temple. He can see the smoke off of the altar and he's celebrating the good things of God. And then he makes his journey down and up and he gets 
back into the city. And when he gets there, he's amazed at what he discovers. That's the passage of Scripture that we've arrived at. And as Nehemiah arrived within the city, he begins to understand that when the cat is away, come on somebody, the mice will play. And he discovers that Eliashib, who is the priest, probably pretended to have an, a, a relationship with Nehemiah in the first place because as soon as he's gone, as soon as Nehemiah, Nehemiah may, the dust may have not even settled from his departure, Eliashib calls one of his old friends that Nehemiah had run out of the city before, and that's Tobiah. Tobiah is an Ammonite who the scripture says can't have a place in the house of God. And Eliashib not only gives him a place, he gives him an apartment. Nehemiah comes back and we're in the place where the priests and the Levite are supposed to be able to draw their living from a storeroom where the tithes and the offerings belong. He gets there and there's there's Tobiah's dresser. There's his couch. He's got his big screen TV. And Nehemiah's looking around and saying, where's all the preachers at? How come I don't hear the sound of worship? How come we don't see a line lined up of people uh, offering sacrifice in the house of God? Where's all the preachers at? Well, they were about to be starved out because nobody was bringing the tithe because Tobiah was in the place where the tithe was, was supposed to be at and they're out in the field working. I'll tell you what, that infuriated. Man, there's a good word right there. Right there, there's a good word. So he's, he's frustrated. And so then he sees and he notices that men are working and buying and selling on the Sabbath day, the very thing they had committed a couple of years earlier that they would not do. Then they discovered that some of the Jews had married wives of the people of the land and their children couldn't even speak Hebrew. Their children didn't know anything about the Word of God, but they knew how to find MTV on the television. Come on, they didn't know the, the, the ABCs of the Bible. They don't know about the Roman road. They don't know about the disciples. But come on, they know about, uh, what is it, SpongeBob SquarePants and Johnny Bravo. They know that, but they don't know about David and his sling. Come on, somebody. There's a frustration that begins to set in. Nehemiah, it's all starting to mount until he had that breaking point moment. Every now and then, I'm telling you, Jesus went into the house of God about four uh, centuries later, and he was frustrated to the core too. And he said, you know what? Enough is enough. The zeal of God's house has eaten me up. And he he began to turn over tables and, and, and drive people out. And that's where Nehemiah, Nehemiah got so frustrated that he said, you know what? We're going to make a change. and we're gonna, Something's going to change from this day forward. I'll tell you what, we need to see that in the church of Jesus Christ in our generation. We've had enough people play in church until the church is so lukewarm. There's no fire on the altar. There's no presence of God the way it should be. We need to see people to arise with the righteous indignation and say, I'm tired of casual Christianity. Let's be the people God has called us to be. He discovers that Eliashib has married the daughter, or the son of Eliashib, has married the daughter of Sanballat. And so think with me for just a moment. Almost everything that was related to the people connecting to worship at the house of God is neglected. Remember how he had closed that passage of Scripture? I think in the 10th chapter of, the, of this book, they said, we will not. They all agreed. They all agreed, Pastor Nehemiah, we will not forsake the house of our God. 
Everybody was celebrating. Everybody was bringing their tithe. The wall was built. It was a time of rejoicing. But let me tell you today, church family, the enemy is very deceptive. And the enemy did not necessarily retreat. He just simply waited. He bought his time. He waited for a moment. He searched out an opportunity where he could come back and regain a stronghold. And let me tell you, we still wrestle against principalities and powers, against the darkness of the rulers of this world. That's how come your life has seasons. There are times when you fight against the enemy and you do everything right and then you look up and he seems to be absent. I'm telling you, he's not fled. He's just waiting. He's waiting for that moment of your complacency. He's waiting for that moment of your apathy. He's waiting for that moment of your weakness when you open the door and let him back in because he wants to take the place that belongs only to God. He wants to take the place that only belongs to the Word of God. He wants to sit in the seat of your decisions. He wants you to spend your resources on him rather than on the things of God. He wants a stronghold in your life because he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I came to announce today in the name of Jesus that the devil is a liar. Let God be true and let every man a liar. And the church has found him out and we will cast him out in Jesus' name. In the absence of Nehemiah's leadership, again the enemies gained access because of an unholy alliance with Eliashib. That pure, unadulterated worship of God is now hindered because the enemy has gained a stronghold. And once the enemy gains a stronghold, almost every level of commitment begins to break down. Isn't that the way it is in our lives? Once we give place to certain ideologies and thoughts in our mind, then how quickly our commitment to God begins to break down. The wall is up, but the house of God is neglected. The wall was their work, perhaps their career, but the house of God was their calling. So it is with you. You can't walk in the will of God for your life and not be directly connected to the body of Christ. I'll stand strong in faith to issue that statement again. I'll go on record before God. I'm not trying to swear an oath for you, but by the reading of Scripture and the understanding that I have, that if you're walking in the will of God, you will function within the life stream of the body of Christ. We discover the will of God, we accomplish the will of God, and it is of necessity that we must maintain the will of God. You have to keep the edge. You have to stay spiritually hungry. Come on, somebody. You have to be ever vigilant. Be sober, Peter warns us. Be vigilant for your adversary the devil walketh about, seeking whom he may, come on, seeking whom he may devour. We have to be vigilant. We have to be just as thorough many years in as you were at the beginning. Negligence has men, listen to this statement. I put a star by it. I did not copy and paste this. I believe God gave this to me. Negligence has many origination points. Ultimately, the end result is the abandonment of the thing you once so highly valued. Negligence has, it starts, well, you don't have to do that. You don't have to give there. You are the church. You don't need to go every Sunday. Come on, somebody. It's all right. It's okay if you... Paul told Timothy, keep that which is trusted to him. Keep it. Jesus said, put your hand to the plow. Come on. Keep your hand to the plow and don't look back. Jesus said, I came to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. The scripture says, give earnest heed to the things you have heard. Lest what? Lest you let them slip. Lest you let them slip. Jesus said, if you endure to the end, not part of the way through, 
Not, have, not as long as everything's feeling good and the moment of affliction and temptation, Jesus warned in the parable of the soils that some believe for a while, but when the things begin to heat up, trial and temptation come, what happens? They fall away. So I want you to know today your own spiritual vigilance and leadership is just as important halfway in, two-thirds of the way in as it was in the beginning. Don't perch yourself up so high that you think that you can't stumble. Come on, somebody. It may be even more difficult to maintain and continue walking in the will of God as it was to initially accomplish it. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to begin to compromise. Again, why is our church just two-thirds of the way filled up this morning? Where are the people over the last 10 to 12 years that have made a profession of faith or were baptized in the waters of our baptism tank or that started to serve or began to work in a ministry only to find themselves distracted, pulled away, lured away by the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? It's a real issue. we got to deal with it. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gershom the Arabian have long passed away, but those spirits of complacency, those spirits of apathy, those religious spirits, those traditional spirits, that robbed from you a vibrant faith and activity in the will of God are still alive today and they've targeted you in the name of Jesus and they want to pull you away from the live stream of the body of Christ because if they can isolate you, then they can attempt you even greater because you don't have that source of strength around you, that place of accountability. And so we've got to be aware. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? We've got to be aware of the enemy in the name of Jesus. I want you to know today that before we can rally, before we can renew our commitment, Commitment sometimes you got to do like Nehemiah did. You got to cast out Tobiah. I just love that word of scripture there that said Tobiah, that Nehemiah took the house. I'm telling you, I can see Nehemiah right now with a righteous indignation. He takes that couch that Tobiah is laying himself on where the offerings are to be and he throws it out and says take it out to the valley and burn it he pulls his television off of the wall he takes his high his his uh, his uh, uh, lazy boy recliner and his dresser and he says get this get this out of here this is holy unto God I'm not going to take that which belongs to God and to give it to the enemy are you hearing what I'm saying and we need that in the church today we need people to realize that we're battling spirits that are trying to get into our hearts and our minds until the enemy takes the place that belonged only to God. Tobiah was allied with Eliashib, and so Nehemiah chased him away. Eliashib was the high priest, and he was allied to the adversary. Let me tell you what Eliashib represents, and I believe this with all my heart. He represents a religious spirit. Do you believe in religious spirits? I do. When I read the word of God, I see religious spirits. Jesus dealt with them in his age, in his day. And he says, here's what this spirit was. It was the spirit of, Nehem, of, of Eliashib. I believe that we're seeing it, trying to take a stronghold in your life and in many in the church today. Listen very carefully. I believe it was a religious spirit that did what it wanted to do. I don't care what the word of God says. You read it one way, I read it another I don't care how you, the church has historically interpreted it. You know, God is relative. I'll just make him to be what I want him to be. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Don't tell me that spirit's not in the Well, there's no reason. Why do you give your tithe and the offering down at the church? That's foolishness. Spend it on your own stuff. So you can give it away to other people and do the same effect. 
See, it's a spirit that takes the thoughts and imaginations that should be renewed in the Word of God till we function biblically until we then adjust, come on somebody, we adjust our lifestyle to which best suits us. Come on, that's, why, that's how uh, Tobiah got his place because Eliashib didn't care that the Bible said that there shouldn't be an Ammonite in the house of God. He didn't care because he's going to make it up what fit best for him in the first place. See, the spirit of Eliashib is masked in a robe of righteousness. It's silhouetted by the instruments of worship and it's in the shadow of the temple. But let me tell you what it is. It's an unholy, impure, idolatrous spirit that despises the word of God. Let me tell you about the word of God. I'll just go on record today that with God, it's not Burger King. You can't have it your way. You can't conform God to your own ideology. You've got to conform to the theology that's revealed in the Word of God. You've got to humble yourself and say, I don't want to be conformed to the spirit of the age, but I'll be transformed by the renewing of my mind. That the commandments of God are not grievous, but they are pure. They enlighten my eye. I walk in them. They're not hard to fulfill. They're easy to fulfill when i got the Spirit of God on the inside of me. Glory to God. And so, but we've got to stand today and realize that we live in a generation when people have given place to Eliashib, the spirit of Eliashib that's allowed Tobiah and uh, uh, the, the Ammonite, Tobiah the Ammonite to lodge in our thinking. And so therefore it creates apathy and complacency and you used to be on fire for God, but now you stay home so you can watch NASCAR on Sunday. Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. That's better preaching than y'all shouting right there. Come on, somebody. I tell you what it is. It's time to break that spirit in the name of Jesus. It's time to wet our sword in the name of Jesus and to say, Tobiah, not only do you have to go, but Eliashib has got to go as well. I know other church may play church. They may want to look religious. They may want to accommodate the world. But as for me and my house, I want to be holy and righteous and walking in all the ways of God. We might be called old-fashioned. We might be ostracized by the common community. That's okay. I would rather know that I'm walking in the will of God than to appease the men that are around me. Glory to God. I would rather know that I am a, a pillar in the house of God. See, I would rather, come on, be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in a tent of unrighteousness. Let the spirit of Moses come on us where we, where we would esteem the reproaches of Christ greater than all the riches of Egypt. Glory to God. I want the church. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if the church arose in Jesus' name and people that were apathetical and complacent, hot one day, cold the next, on fire for God one day and nowhere around, no, not even being counted on the next. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if all of a sudden people started coming back and the body of Christ would be like the days of Ezekiel we would come, dead men's bones would begin to live again and suddenly what was once looked like as a cemetery would be one great mighty army, the church of Jesus Christ, uh, lifting up our voices, being who God's called us to be, making a difference. I'm telling you, the church united is stronger than ISIS. The church united is stronger than Russia. The church united is stronger than the United States of America. We are that one nation under God that has the power and the presence and the potential to bring change, glory to God. But we can't have it. We cannot have it if we give place. Man, know, know, know what you believe and know why you believe it. And be strong in faith in Jesus' name. Church family, we got to put this thing back in order. I'm preaching to some of you today. I'm glad you're here because you're here and then you're gone. Come on, you're here and you're gone. Now, I'm not Nehemiah. I'm not going to pluck your beard, slap your bald head. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to do any of that today. And I'm not trying to take the Word of God and beat you up. 
I'm trying to say, look at this prophetical picture. That's all I want you to do. Look at it with me for just a few minutes because it exposes to us the tactic of the enemy. I wrote down a few questions like this as I'm closing. What if everyone that tithed, tithed the way you do? We might not even have a podium to set our Bible on. Man, that's a good preacher. That's so good. I'm going to get my glasses out and make sure I read that. I can't believe I wrote such stuff. That's what happens when you get along with God. What if everybody served at the level you do? Come on now. There wouldn't be anybody greeting anybody in the foyer. Wouldn't anybody drive the bus or nobody taking up the offering? Come on. Nobody singing on the platform. Because some people give their energy and resources to everything but God. What if everybody attended at the level that you do? We'd have good Easter service and Christmas would be good. Come on, maybe Thanksgiving if we have a potluck dinner fellowship. But without that, we might not even see you then. What if everybody compromised the Word of God the way you're beginning to do so? Then you can't, you can't tell the distinction between the church and the world. And that's what's happening in the American culture today. Let me tell you, there is a movement in the church, in the world that's trying to get in the church causing the church to let go of traditions and, and, and scriptures that we know to be solidified by the word of God to appease the culture around us. And you've got to guard yourself in the name of Jesus. I'm not going. I remember years ago, I've told this story before I close with this final story. I guess I've had my mind on some of my Air Force experiences recently. I'm going to tell you this real quickly. It's a personal moment. It wasn't in my notes, but I'll mention it. But my youngest son, Aaron, just signed up and is a member of the Air National Guard. As of Friday, so me and Mom and Alyssa were there, and we got to, we got to see that. And, 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 of course, when he got ready to sign up, they, they had to ask him, he said, now, do you say affirm or swear? Do you say under, uh, in God or under, under God or not and so he he got to choose his oath good bad right or wrong but my thoughts were in back to when I was in the air force and I remember when I was in basic training and church was a man I'll tell you what you were glad to go to church because yeah. <laughs> when those TIs were chewing you up all week and man church was a solace those evil guys couldn't come in thank God and we got the privilege. Everybody's been in the military. You remember that, don't you? If you went to church, you remember, like, whoo, thank God. I mean, you understood the word sanctuary for just a little while. Daryl joined me on the platform. And I remember this one particular service, though. I remember this service, and oddly enough, now remember, there was what was called the base chapel. Then there were little pockets of chapels. I later found the Pentecostals. After this one service, I said, you know what, this isn't for me because that spirit of the age had already infiltrated. And so, remember, there's a, a military members like that, male and female, are all kind of young at that time, 27 years of age and younger, so they had geared the worship service to kind of accommodate that. That's all fine. I'm for that. And all of a sudden, now remember, I'm just 18 years old. I just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at 17, and the call of God is starting to evolve in my life. And I've learned some things, and I, I understand some things about the Scriptures. And all of a sudden, as a part of the worship service, we started singing, We Are the World. We are the children. Come on now, Jojo sings it really good. I've heard him many times. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, they started swaying. 
back and forth. We are the world. We are the children. We can make a difference if we just keep on giving. And I was like, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Because I recognize I am not the world. I've been called out of the world. I'm distinctly different, the ecclesia. Come on, somebody. The world is passing away. Come on, somebody. We're, 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 we're like a tree planted by the rivers of water of life. We'll bear our fruit in our season. Well, it's time for us to bear our fruit. Come on, somebody. You know what I did? That was the last Sunday. I said, that's enough for me. And then I found out that on the base that there were, little, there were other churches that you could go to versus just the, the little, uh, to the big base chapel. And I found the Pentecostal church, glory to God. And I walked in the doors and they were singing Pentecostal worship songs and the presence of God was in the house. Hallelujah. And we weren't singing, we are the world. Come on. And I'm saying that today to just say this to you. That spirit has always been around. It's a religious spirit. It's a, it's, a, it's a spirit that wants to control the seed of the house of God and your actions and your motions until you make up things that best, best fit you and, and conform to what you think is right versus rather than what the Word of God says. We have to guard ourselves. You've got to maintain the edge. Does that make sense? You've got to maintain the edge. God's will for your life involves direct involvement in the house of God. Come on. God's will. Y'all know I'm closing. Daryl's on the platform. There's no more right here. Even if you have not yet discovered your career calling, you need to press inward concerning your relationship with God. It took Nehemiah five months to discover that God had called him to go back to Jerusalem. But let me tell you, don't isolate yourself from the people of God while you're trying to find out what your career is. Come on. Matter of fact, I believe that if you'll seek God diligently, you'll find the call of God. You will in the house of God. And you'll connect it. You'll connect it. Then you'll arrive at the place where you say, in Him I live, in Him I move, and in Him I have my very being. Who here today needs a reconnect moment with God? A reconnect moment with God and the will of God, especially as it relates to the house of God. I tell you, you got to confess before God, Father, I need to, I got to, I got to keep the edge. I got to maintain the edge. I've been off course. God, I got to get back on. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. It's right at the noon hour today. It's 12.01. I began at 11.15, so I'm 46 minutes in from the time that I took the pulpit. And I'm here today, and I believe I came to this place today because God wanted me to speak a message to perhaps those that have allowed Tobiah and the spirit of Eliashib place in their life. You're hot, then you're cold. You're up, then you're down. You're active for a while, and then you drift away. That's not the will of God for you. That's the spirit of Tobiah. That's the spirit of Eliashib. It doesn't need to be in your life at all. You belong entirely to God. Serve Him with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Come on, and your body. Come on, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. Function your life walking according to the dictates of the revealed Word of God, not just to the dictates of your own conscience. What pleases you? It takes sacrifice. It takes commitment. It takes faith to do the things that God's called you to do. I know that, but I believe you can do it. I believe that with the faith and the help of God, you will do it. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm going to be honest. Pastor, don't embarrass me today. 
Don't embarrass me. I'm not going to. I'm not trying to embarrass you in any capacity. But pastor, you were preaching to me today. You were preaching to me. I see, I see what you're saying. I'm here and then I drift away. I'm here and I drift away. I feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit today. Today in the name of Jesus. And I want to reconnect. I want to recommit who I am and what I am to the house of God and to the will of God for my life. Pastor Brown, would you pray for me right where I am, right here today in this house? If that's you, nobody's looking around but me. Slip your hand up today. I see that hand. Is there anybody else today? Thank you. Some hands. Thank you. Some sincerity. Thank you. God is speaking to you. I'm way, I believe there's a few others today. Come on. Thank you. Thank you so much. I see that hand. Thank you. That's the will of God. Anybody else today? Come on. It starts with a commitment in your heart. It starts with a commitment. Would everybody stand up today and we're going to pray. Closing prayer. Closing prayer. Closing prayer. We're going to pray a very serious corporate prayer together today. I'm going to be led and I'm just going to, I'm not going to bring you forward. And even though we believe it and we're not trying to take it, we're not a church that doesn't believe in the altar call. Normally on Sunday mornings we have two. But I just want to go with where the Spirit's going today. And there's a gentle pull of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I didn't come like Nehemiah to pluck your beard out or to beat you over the head. I just came to preach the word to you. That's my goal, to just show you so that it kind of brings you to the place where you confront your own self.